What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number 43. Thank you for coming back and tuning in. This is going to be part two of my interview with Tony Ferguson, legendary A&R music guy from Interscope Records who signed and discovered, no doubt, Gwen Stefani, and who was my mentor during most of my time in the music industry. We get into how difficult it was to find a producer that wanted to take No Doubt on because, again, that type of music was the furthest thing from what was succeeding at that time, so nobody wanted to take it on. Uh, He thought the label was going to drop the band. Things got so hard, he even began doubting himself if he made the wrong move signing them, and how he met a young Alanis Morissette and came within an inch of signing her. Both Alanis and, no doubt, blew up at the same time. He goes into what it was like hearing both of them on the radio at the same time everywhere. We also go into a story about how a up-and-coming rap group burst their way into the Interscope offices with fake guns and ski masks, and how the SWAT team was called out, and Suge Knight's role in that whole encounter. Fantastic story. And what Tony saw in me that made him want to take me on as my mentor. So, great episode. I'm very excited for you guys to check this one out. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to Connection. I couldn't find anyone. And then it was uh, the bass player of Blondie Mm. who left Blondie and joined Interscope Records. It was Tom Wally's main A&R guy. He suggested, what about this guy, Matthew Wilder? Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know who Matthew Wilder (laughs) is. He said, he's a writer, but he had a big hit. Uh, a few years ago with a song Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride. And it was a big hit, and it had that scar pulse, but very pop. And it, it was, um, That's the exact combo you needed, right? Yeah. I phoned him, and they were going to do a show at the Troubadour. There was a line around the block all the way up the hill. And you pulled up to this line, and was yeah. your mind kind of blown when you saw the line? I thought it was the wrong band. I was in the wrong place. <laughs> And it was around that time that Jimmy said, look, this is going to be difficult. We find a good producer and stuff and we need help. Maybe we should talk to them about, you know, just calling it about Gwen Stefani and having it as her. He wanted to, Because yeah. at that time he was thinking of Madonna. Yeah. He wasn't wrong. Like the logic yeah, the made, logic, the logic is, is was there. there. Yeah. But it was. But so, it's also very like a fuck you to the band, obviously. You know, the band which, would have, yeah, yeah, would have yeah, said yeah, fuck yeah, you yeah, back. Yeah. yeah no yeah, doubt about yeah. it. They, they were the, the, the very tight knit band. That would have been an example. You know, we keep saying it's nothing personal, just business. Just, yeah. That would have been nothing one of those, personal. right? But it anyways, go ahead. So Matthew saw it. I, I, he, he, said, he said to me, go in and he said, I haven't seen the band. I'll do it. Mm hmm. I said, without seeing the band? He said, no, I've heard the tracks. I know what to do. I'll do it. No problem. Wow. So he said, just a formality. I thought, just a formality. You go to see the show. Everything will be fine. Show finishes. I said, want to go back and meet the band? He said, yeah, sure, but I can't do the record. I said, what do you mean you can't do the record? You told me you were going to do the record. He said, that's before I saw them. He said, well, that's your problem. I said, well, meet the band. (laughs) 
just come up and beat the band. He wasn't feeling the show uh, then, right? Is that it or what? Well, he felt the show, but he thought it was too babyish, juvenile. You know, this 16-year-old blonde girl with pigtails dancing around the stage. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. And you've got to remember, reggae and ska music, although it was very popular worldwide, wasn't exactly an American institution. Not at all. That's why I think you must have had a crystal ball, Tony, to recognize that this could maybe be something because... Oh, at that point, I was hanging on by... It was just a threat at that point, right? I actually thought I made a big mistake. Wow. I love the band, but maybe this is a mistake. America just won't do Mm -hmm. it. I can't do this. You went against the grain of what was popular at the time. Although you you recognize that there was a void for a lead female, though. That was like your only saving grace in a way. Well, that was the logic behind it. But the actual belief was that audiences loved this band. People who saw them loved the band and went to see them again. That's a sign. There was bands being signed for like millions of dollars in Los Angeles. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. Okay, there you go. So I thought, fuck it, let's just go for it. Matthew was brilliant because Matthew was a consummate musician, piano player, organ player. He wrote songs for Tina Turner and all these people. He met them. It went off well. They didn't really want him. They, they didn't think he was hip enough. Matthew sat with them, talked to them about the soundscape and stuff like that. And they started to trust him. And then, God bless him, he, he was living in the North Valley. Had to drive on the 405 all the way down to Orange County. Yeah. It took him two hours going there and usually two hours going back. So four hours a day was spent in the car. And then you do about six hours, four to six hours of rehearsal. This guy, so his this day, guy saw it. This guy knew it was there. Yeah. Hey, a, but that, that's, that's a lot to do. That's amazing, man. For very little money. You mentioned this a, a few minutes ago where you said you were hanging by a string. I want to go to that. This podcast, honestly, yeah. is about these moments in life where shit could have turned left. And then at the last minute, it turned right. And... You got a good story there for that, because that, oh. that was this project. Well, we finished the record with... Okay, I'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, we finished the record with No Doubt and Matthew, delivered the record to Interscope, and they said no. Now, this is the one you said they gave you 200 grand to do, which you had to fight to get the 200 grand. Right, right. Okay. They said, no, maybe we should just go back to the original plan of having her as a solo artist. So I went home to England for Christmas, and I thought, this is over. Yeah, it's this done. This is not going to We're done. So I went back to work early January, walked into the office, and like, uh, okay, what are we going to do with No Doubt? What are we going to do with the Were you thinking about how you're going to break it to the band that they were going to, like, get dropped then at this yeah, point or well, what? They phoned me up, and it felt like a nail in the coffin because they said, we want to we fire our manager. He's not doing enough for us. And I said, listen, guys, this is a big mistake. You know, this guy's connected. He has connections with radio. If we get the right track, we could probably get some radio play to stimulate, you know, the launch of the record. I mean, this is not the time to fire a manager when you just finish the record. Now the label was a little, they were growing a little tired of waiting for this to do well. And now here's the band on the other side saying, we want to get rid of our manager, which you think would put a monkey wrench in things further. So you're kind of fucked on both sides of this thing, right? Well, it sends the wrong, it sends the wrong message to the record company that you don't believe in your oh, management. As I'll go to the manager and say, look, I did all I could. I'm sorry, but you're fired. He said, fuck. You had to deliver this to the manager? Oof. He God, said, okay. can't you do anything? I said, I've been, I drove down to Orange County, sat with them for like three or four hours, and they're, they're adamant. He said, oh, something went on. He said, I'm walking out the door. He says, oh, 
He says, what do you think happened with the band? I said, I don't really know. He says, well, I've got another girl. I said, oh. I said, uh, what's her name? He said, it's a girl named Alanis Morissette. I said, who? She was a teenage pop idol that did moles, did that whole Tiffany kind of breaking records in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I said, he gave me a, a cassette of, of her. So I'm listening to this and I'm hearing records. So I started to pursue that at the same time as I was trying to figure out what to do with No Doubt. Yeah. And what happened was I went to Matthew Wilder's place. He played me the finished record. We went through the tracks one by one. And I said, the only track that really, really sticks out to me is a song called Don't Speak. Mm. But it's a ballad. It doesn't really represent what the band is, especially if you're trying to... Uh, brand the band in some kind of way. Yeah, that, that's the which the record first record with. is the most important record. He said, yeah. well, there's a good, what about, you know, Just a Girl? I'm Just a Girl. What about that song? I said, eh, it kind of bounces around. Actually, yeah, it's pretty good because it does this female statement thing and it, she was going through her relationships, Gwen that is, with the Tony, the bass player. They had split up. So she was writing about their well, that's what split. Don't Speak was about, right? Yeah. That's a lot of that, what uh, Tragic Kingdom was. I met, I met with Alanis, and yeah. then she was working with a, a really good record producer, and he played me a song called You Ought to Know. Mm. And I heard it, and fuck, this will never get on the radio. Because it's an angry female? Because it's <laughs> an angry female doing this thing. But I thought, well, wait a minute, what's hard rock? With the mail. That's all fucking angry. Why can't a woman Axel be fucking Rose angry? Axl Rose is that guy, right? Or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I went to Jimmy and Jimmy said, eh, that's an interesting song. That's a really good song and stuff. But Ted wouldn't sign it. Oh my God. I remember you telling me this. And um, I remember at the 11th hour when some other label is going to pick it up. Didn't you say you went to Ted's Bentley and wrote a, a handwritten note and put it on his yeah, Bentley sign, with sign this girl. <laughs> but it was too late by then. So, um, I'm surprised, though. Can I be honest? I'm surprised that Jimmy didn't, like, get get that. Because I feel like that would be an artist where Jimmy would get it and, and like, force it through. I think, you know? it was, I think it was just a bad time for Jimmy because there was stuff going on in his world with the rap stuff and everything mm. else. We were number one at one point to sign her, Alanis, mm. and then we became number two or number three. And I think it was Madonna's... Uh, label Maverick Maverick that signed that signed her. I mean that that makes sense, but that's that's crazy because that one went on to do like twenty five million, as did Tragic Kingdom. So you could have I could have had, had fifty million <laughs> records under your belt, Tony. That would have been but, fun. <laughs> well, January coming back from that Christmas where I thought everything was over and the band yeah. weren't doing much. Uh, we had the finished record. It wasn't mixed. Right. And the manager had to be let go at this time uh, as well. The manager was let go. Mm -hmm. So now we're back to that. Like, what the fuck are we going to do with no, no Doubt? Then I got a phone call from a publisher who suggested I talk to a guy named Rob Kahane and Paul Palmer, who had just started Trauma. And also at that time, Trauma became distri distributed through Interscope. Mm -hmm. So they were part of the Interscope family. So I thought, hmm. Maybe a backdoor in. Called up Paul Palmer. Hi, Tony Ferguson here. He goes, who? I said, Tony Ferguson. What? Interscope Records. Oh, Interscope. You were with Interscope? 
I said, yeah, I, 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 he didn't know who I was. I walked in with the record because he didn't, he lost the record or something. Again, Just know. a Girl, Don't Speak. These are like the big songs all on the big, there, right? All the big yeah. songs oh. played it for me. He goes, who else has heard this? And I said, what's Jimmy think of it? I said, well, Jimmy's kind of, you know, ambivalent, doesn't quite know what to do. He goes, huh. He said, let me do something. I'm going to play it for my partner, Rob Kahane. We walk into Rob Kahane's office. Yeah. But there's another guy sitting there taking a meeting. And Paul said, I'm sorry, I didn't want to disturb, you know, disturb the meeting or something, but I want you to hear this. He just happened to be sitting there, you're saying. Yeah, Some... this guy's sitting there with Rob Kahane. Wow. They're taking a meeting. We barge in. So they play the cassette, Just a Girl and Don't Speak were the two tracks that came up first. Mm. Rob stopped the record. I said... Who's got this? He said, Interscope. He said, what are they doing with it? I said, nothing. <laughs> he goes, and he turns, he goes, what do you think? And this guy stands up, he goes, I know who this band is. He said, well, there's no doubt. He said, yeah, no doubt. They play on our station. It was K-Rock. The main guy from K-Rock Radio was sitting in the room. Wow. And he knew through California what sales we had done with this he band. He knew about the lines around the Troubadour and all that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, he knew yeah, about yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Rob said, would you play this? Kevin Weatherly said, yeah, sure, I would play this. They're a great band. Then Rob went to Jimmy and said, look, I can work this record and I can work it through K-Rock and work it through everybody. So Jimmy poured more money into the project. All of a sudden, we had more money coming into the project. Got it. We paid Paul Palmer to mix the thing. Record was done. Then as we we're mixing, they're going out, making the record cover, looking for ideas for the record cover, and that all came out with the Orange County, Gwen holding the orange, mm -hmm. uh, Tragic Kingdom, because they really didn't like the Disneyland whole thing that was going on and the whole Stepford Wives kind of thing that was going on in Orange County. That's, that's right, yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah their that's right. That's not, pushback. sure, sure, sure. And the rest is pretty much history. That's yeah. it. Yeah, we got so, it out. Except MTV wouldn't play the video. And the video was amazing. The first video well, we made of Just a Girl was really, really good. How, but MTV wouldn't play it. Why wouldn't they play it? Uh, they didn't like her. They did. They thought she was too. She was a flash in the pan. And but then all they did gun. eventually was play No Doubt videos. So what was the turning point? It just took off at radio. Then they had to play it. Is that what happened? Yeah, it took off a radio. But also the radio, the radio guys were phoning MTV and saying, "What the fuck are you doing?" Crazy. This song's a hit. What's your problem? So they just got on late. They had to get okay. Right. What about? The movie Clueless, I mean, that was like a cultural phenomenon. I mean, I grew up when that movie was really happening. What was the impact, right, that that, the that, impact yeah, that, that would have? was strong. People yeah. were phoning up, trying to find out what that song was mm. in, in the movie Clueless. Yeah, it, it, it caused some attention. Okay. And then things started so, to snowball. Everybody suddenly went, walking down the street, people said, great band, no doubt, who... Three years ago, we're going... What, so one of my favorite things, Tony, is like, you said success has many fathers. You always taught me that. Success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. You were the champion. I mean, you were like the day one champion for the band. What does that feel like? Yeah, it was kind of overwhelming because you'd get every person and their dog calling you up because you've just got a hit record and, uh, you know. Like, so, you're, like you're going to wave a magic wand and right. do something for them. What did that do for your career? At that time, I was working so hard on that that I thought, is this what it takes <laughs> to singularly make a hit record? I'm not sure I want to do this for a living. Wow. This is 
this is hard work. I mean, the hours we spend in the studio, the hours on the road, the traveling, uh, I, you know, to, to get like pushed in the face and pushed in the face. And you know what they say, you know, what, what beats you down makes you stronger. Well, maybe that's true, but I didn't feel that strong after that, mm. to be honest. And it kind of left a taste in my mouth because the band got very upset with me. That they, they saw it as betrayal. What? That I went to Paul Palmer and Rob Kahane to put it on their independent label, Trauma, distributed through Interscope. Hmm. They thought it was a slap in the face. They didn't know the backstory though, right? Or what? No, they didn't. Yeah. And I got the blame for it. So hmm. the band and I didn't talk for a long time. That ruptured the relationship. It ruptured the relationship, but... They had a hit record. I mean, I knew it was a thankless job to be a manager, Tony, but I didn't know it was a thankless job to be an A&R as well. Oh, like, you at, know. The, at the end of the 90s, into the 2000s, around two, 2005, six. I forget when Gwen got married, but she did a nice little speech thanking Tony for Which is a funny story out. because you said that you were at Jimmy's house for this wedding and like didn't you say there was like uh, George Clooney? Or there was like Brad Pitt. There's all these people. And, t and Gwen is like, all this is possible thanks to Tony. And everybody's like, who the fuck is Tony? I know. There were <laughs> 400 close friends yeah. of Gwen Stefani. And they, they're like the A-list of the who's who in Hollywood. You know, Ben Stiller. Uh, exactly. Uh, all these. Brad Pitt was there. In fact, I wanted to take a pee. Yeah. And Jimmy had a pool. And of course, the main party was in the house and the grounds around the house. So I knew the pool pool was up there. and Not many people knew about that. So I went up to take a pee. <laughs> I walk in there, there's no one in there. So I walk in there, I'm like going, ah, nice echo in this bathroom, really good. And the guy looks around me and it's Brad Pitt. So I took a piss next to Brad Pitt. And as I'm walking out, we're walking down back towards the... Together, you're going together. back we're to the... Yeah. And we're chatting, you know, what do you do? What do I, you know, that's, that's the movie. I don't know what the fuck I said to him. I was like, Brad Pitt? Yeah. And as I'm walking down, there's all these girls, all these women, like, looking at me and Brad, and they're all going, who's he? I know he's Brad Pitt, but who the fuck's he? <laughs> so I said, hi, Brad. <laughs> Bye, Brad. See you later. Oh, good night. So I became phone friends with Brad Pitt for about 10 seconds. <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, so that was funny. You've always struck me as, like, you're, you know, you, you've, uh, you didn't get lost in the whole Hollywood thing when there's a lot of people who kind of see success and they kind of uh well for lack of a better word they go hollywood they kind of you know get caught up in it and i feel like you've always managed to kind of keep your feet like level on the ground would that be fair to say and i'm like how have you managed to do that when, I, when, when a lot of people when you agree don't my aspirations were, weren't that high so i guess there was about yeah. a two-week period where i could have written my own job description and payment so go more into that yeah uh, what was the I, thought process i couldn't do it I suddenly realized I, I, I could start my own independent label, get it distributed Off oh, of through. the strength of what you just did, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, off yeah. the strength. But I thought, mm -hmm. this is a one hit. Like Jimmy said to me, ah, one time, lucky. Two times. You got something? You got something. Mm -hmm. And I never got a big one like that. I mean, that's 25 million records. Right, right. <laughs> it's not but you did. you could sign that. Now, Alanis could have, could have been the second, I suppose. I mean, it was that close, it, it sounded like. Close. Yeah. Because I went through that whole summer and autumn of 1996, I think. Yeah. Going everywhere, and only two two records were being played. Yeah. You ought to know by Alanis Morissette and uh, don't not don't speak. 
uh, just a girl from No Doubt. At the same time, the those same were time. blowing up. Oh, back that's, to back that's on some wild. Stations. Now, if you would have gotten that signing, then how do you think that would have changed your, your career? Only that I could have made a bigger and better deal if I wanted to, but I didn't want to make the deal. Because you didn't want the additional pressure. Yeah, I, I just, Right? I, I know how record labels are run, but I could i never really fitted into the structure of the business side of a record and what label. do you mean by that it manipulating and trying to manage acts and artists and getting their records mm. played it was a fight the, the politics the of politics it? within yeah. the companies yeah. were very very shady it's, the word i would use in a lot of cases is there's a lot of duplicitous behavior don't oh, yeah. you agree and that's got to take a toll like it's hard to be in the music industry when you have a moral compass I mean, isn't that, is that fair to say? Because there's shit you got to do, I think, well, just the, to the make higher, it, higher you know. The, yeah, the higher up the ladder you go, the more shit you're going to have to do. You're so going to you, have to you're do, You're going to have a really strong disposition. And my disposition at that time wasn't that strength. Mm. And I just didn't want to be chasing hit records all the time. And the, tr the acts that I signed or worked Did with after that weren't straight ahead pop acts. But we had Gary Greenberg on, who you're aware of, right? Yeah. And yep. remember I told you I was going to play. He said something about the music industry in general, and I thought it was brilliant. And I wanted you to, like, listen to this 30-second clip and then tell me kind of in real time what your thoughts are. Is that all right? Okay. So you're like a police officer in a way. Like, police yeah. officers see a lot of bad shit. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of bad shit, don't you? I do. I see <laughs> yeah. stuff that would just really, you know, make your skin crawl that people do to each other. Because the music business is a very exploitative business. Mm. People, you're talking about people's dreams and whenever you've got artists running around who so desperately want something to happen for them, they're easy prey. Mm. And believe me, this town, this town has the most talented artists in the world. I believe that. They also have the most talented hustlers. Oh, wow. Well so said, man. It's like when you look out, when I look out out of my window over the L.A. basin, I see a lot of sheep and I see a lot of wolves. wolves. And hopefully I try and save as many sheep as possible from the wolves. That's part of my job, but I can't save them all. No, all he's right. right. Was, that, was that kind of brilliant, though? I he's mean, right. Yeah, so but what I'm are also, your thoughts? As far as I know, yeah. and I'm not on the inside of any of these labels or these executives that work as the labels. I've never been an inside man. Yeah. But what I've seen from the outside is that there were some people that should never have been in the music business. They, they'd be better car salesmen or mafia bosses. That's I what I was that. looking for. Yes. Luckily. Yes. Luckily, I aligned myself with people who were mavericks and were somewhat odd, eccentric. Mm-hmm. But they were they weren't evil. Mm. Jimmy but you're acknowledging Jim that that exists. Oh yeah, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky yeah, for yeah. me, yeah. I never really deal with that. Touched. An organization Because, again, like Jimmy that. is a maverick type. Jimmy, Jimmy yeah, was yeah, a musician, yeah. uh -huh. record producer. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. He was all about the records. Mm -hmm. you know. He had to do what he had to do, but he never went into the dark, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the dark side of life. No, he yeah, never went yeah, into yeah. that. But yeah. there were some that did. And had a lot of power. And had a lot of power, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they were... Would you make it a point to try and avoid those people? I mean, were you, you were aware of them and you uh, tried to avoid them then or what? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. that uh -huh. also caused problems because there were some people that I just didn't want to do business with. And of course, they didn't want to do business with me because they thought, well, who the fuck are you? You know, mm. how dare you? Fuck off. Hmm. So I thought, I don't want to be with those kind of people. So I just stayed around in the scope. I could have 
left Indoscope and done things, but I was there for 20 years. Oh, long run, yeah. 20 years of Indoscope. That's a long time. Yeah. In the record business, that's a fucking long time. That's like that's dog years. That's <laughs> Might as well be 100 years, as I think. As right? an A&R guy, yeah. it's almost impossible. Yeah, I think that might be a record, I think. For like a ma- one major label position in, as an A&R, that's got to be a record. you yeah. you got to be in the top 10 uh, as far I'm as people that have done that. Probably more well-known for that in the music business, and no doubt, you know. <laughs> he lasted a long time. You know the word providence, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, there's a little bit of providence with your path. I mean, and I, wouldn't you say, like, oh. right place, right time, and then right when you get to Interscope, it's like Dre and this and that and that. And you said Interscope had, I think, the top four records in all of the music industry. It was like, right, like, No Doubt, um, uh, Dre... Snoop, right? Uh, Gavin, Bush. Bush. So these four, out of all of the labels and music, um, was Interscope, and you had just, you'd only been there for a couple of years at this point, right? I mean, you were still newer there. Four or five years. I must admit, when I look back, I'm I'm old now, and I look back on my life, and I look back on my career. Yeah. Something, uh, somebody was looking out for you, I feel like, right? So fucking lucky. Somebody, yeah. Yeah, I was lucky. I don't know why. Huh. You must have done something right in a previous life. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, like, you know, I could keel over any minute, you know. Very lucky. Um, because the more, the, the harder I tried, the worse it got. Wait, when say I, that again? Yeah, sometimes the harder I tried to push it down people's throat to try and get people to do something they don't want to do. That, that was my day, was spending as an A&R guy, convincing people to do something that they instinctively do not want to do. That's the hardest thing. That comes with the artists, with the producers, with everybody else. Because look, at well, Matthew Wilder didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to produce the record. He saw them, said, okay, but I don't want to do this. So you have to sit down with the guy and say... This is why you should do this. Mm. And, with, and all you're doing, basically, is say, if you do this, the possibility of what could happen could be amazing. Yeah, well... But then you're dealing with the possibility. And nine times out of ten, it always... Doesn't happen. So, yeah, I was lucky. We skipped over one very, very funny story I think the listeners would love to hear. There was a, a group of guys, uh, uh, aspiring uh, rappers, <laughs> oh, yes. who, came into, who came into the lobby one day, and um, Tony tells it, like, you look out your window, and you see about 40 fucking cop cars, and you're like, oh, my God, is the federal building being taken over? What... Tell them the well, rest of the story. Well, I, I was, my office at that point was on the 12th floor of the building overlooking in the Westwood area where UCLA is. And uh, so there's a lot of buildings, a lot of traffic. As you said, the federal building's next door. Yeah. Government building. And I'm looking out the window and there's helicopters going around. So I thought, well, is a, is a demonstration? I mean, or it's been a bad accident on the freeway? I mean, what's going on here? And then they started hovering really low and then drove... And then I heard the sirens of the cop cars coming up and they're parked right outside the building. So I'm looking out the 12th, <laughs> looking down, going, huh, wonder what's going on? Then I hear this commotion. And apparently what happened was um, Jimmy had called a meeting in the conference room with Shook Knight, Ted Field, uh, a bunch of Interscope people to take a look at a band who's going to do a showcase. And they were very young, three or four of them, rappers. Mm-hmm. And this manager they had, this black guy manager. But they had walked into the building in the lobby, which is a huge lobby. And you've got to remember, um, there's some government 
agencies in that building as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the security there is very tight, particularly with all the stuff that was going on. With Shug at the time with, now. With yeah, 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 and also yeah, yeah. with, you know, Washington, D.C. and about the black artists being detrimental to youth culture and everything all this bullshit so these three black kids walk in with, with the manager and as they get into the elevator i mean everyone the security guys were eyeing them like going oh black guys coming in black guys coming in <laughs> and, and they walked in and just the doors are closed and they took out these balaclavas and put them over their head these black hoods <laughs> So the cops, for the security rather, immediately uh, like, call the, the cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come in for the meeting, and there was a young woman on uh, uh, in the foyer. Yeah. It was her first day on the job. <laughs> and uh, she let them in, and Jimmy had them in, into the meeting, and apparently the meeting started off. The squad cars are still around. I go out to the lobby. I said, what the fuck's going on? Everyone is out of their offices saying, what's going on? What's going on? Then apparently... A SWAT team bursts through the doors of Scope Records <laughs> with machine guns. Guns drawn. Guns drawn. <laughs> the poor girl behind the desk faints or just has a heart attack. I don't know what happened to the poor girl. Uh, I know she never came back again to work. <laughs> and uh, people had to run out and say, oh, well, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? We've been told you've got some people up here, blah, blah, blah. What's going on? You know, mm -hmm. Someone called the police. They went, no, 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 it's okay. It's just these kids. Well, the kids had gone into the conference room. Yeah. So the Shook Knight, the manager of the band, the three kids, Jimmy and a bunch of Indescope people, they showcased. And then the black manager go, copped an attitude mm. at the meeting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my boys are going to be bigger than Snoop Dogg. My boys are going to make two, <laughs> two packs of sure eat crow. Right. Yeah. Um, so everyone's going, yeah, right, okay. okay. Um, Shook Knight flew across the table. And Shook Knight Fl flew? flew across the table, uh. jumped out of his chair, flew across, grabbed the guy by the throat, dragged him down on the table. I said, basically, fucking shut the fuck up, you blah, blah, blah. Wow. How dare you talk to us like that? How dare you do that? And that was the end of the meeting. Wow. And Jimmy's comment was, well, that's a different way of doing things. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy was, everyone was shocked, apparently, when Suge Knight did this. Oh, my God, man. And, of course, uh, Jimmy, people, yeah. people knocked on the door, hey, Jimmy, there's a problem outside. We've got the SWAT team out here. <laughs> and the building's surrounded by helicopters and the SWAT team. What? So, Jimmy yeah. had no idea that all that was no. going on. Right, right, right. Because they're yeah. in a conference room. That's a good one. On that note, okay, so, you know, Jimmy is, uh, uh, he's got a lot of wisdom to him. And I remember you telling me once, um, I always like hearing secondhand Jimmy uh, uh, doses of wisdom, if that makes sense. So I remember uh, you saying that he said he doesn't care how the ball goes in the hoop as long as it goes in the hoop, right? Yeah, he that was like that. one of them. And then I remember, you remember Mark Williams, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, used to, I, I was in a meeting with Mark, and Mark said something like, Jimmy said, I go stand next to that guy, my life gets better. <laughs> like, he had, like, the simplest wisdom. Well, that's, what, that's how he got on with He He would come in and he'd walk into a meeting, and so well, I used to be when people would come in and go, okay, everybody, they get the file, they put the file down on the table, let's talk business here. Yeah. Jimmy come in, he'd go, hey, what's happening? <laughs> right. What's going on? And people go, hi, Jimmy. Hey, 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 what's your name? Uh, sit down, sit down, let's talk. Uh, he was like he was like a mafia. Yeah, a little, okay, right, a little he bit like that. that. He had that Italian thing going where, 
hey, nothing's a big deal. We could we could do whatever you want to do. Let's just talk and chat. You know, let's do things. That's together. a great approach, though, isn't and it? And it used to unnerve some people. His approach disarmed people. Yeah, yeah. But also on the other side of the coin, he mm. was cutthroat. He could be fierce. Oh. Yeah, like cold. Really? Okay. Very cold. It wouldn't be a temper tantrum. It wouldn't be like you fucked up or so. Okay. He would just look at you and you knew you did wrong. <laughs> he had those eyes. That wow, the eyes. Yeah, I, I, I saw it so many times. And people. He, he wasn't a yeller. No. No, Jimmy didn't have that disposition. I remember going to Italy. Yeah. I went to southern Italy where Jimmy came from. And we were backstage, and this, these old Italian people came in, and they were like Jimmy's family. Mm. And That's they were cool. going, Yovani, Yovani. <laughs> they go, Yovani, Yovani. And I'm going, what the fuck is Yovani? Well, Iovine in Italian is Yovani. Yovani, wow. wow. So I'm trying to figure out, who is Yovani? It's a good nickname. What does it mean? <laughs> it's my surname, you stupid. Anyway, so. Hanging out with the family and watching Jimmy interact with that, with some of the family members, was kind of interesting. That is interesting. How did you see fame change Gwen? And did you see fame change her? Or did she manage to stay kind of the same girl? Pretty much the same girl. She didn't really, it didn't really go to her head or anything? She, she, she felt down to, no, earth to, no. down to earth to you after that success? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, compared to other people, yeah, without a doubt. The whole band was like that. They were pretty mm. solid. You know, they, they had their little excessive problems that cropped up personality-wise. Yeah. Like a bit of alcohol or too much or drugs. Sure. Or but it was very low-key and very, nothing like what rock and roll could be like. Yeah, I just watched the Oasis Brothers. Like, pff, that's, a, that's a great documentary, by the way. Oh, yeah. They're, they're fighting... Fam Fame went to their heads and they fucking can't even talk to each other. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, the Gallagher's. And, and that didn't like Crosby, Stills, and Nash show up in different uh, buses, oh, right? Yeah, to yeah. Do, exactly. Think, so nothing like that with no doubt. Nothing. But I think towards the end like, when the touring came too much, I think but, but they may have traveled a little differently. Yeah. Not, not always together. But most of the time they were always together. That's, that's cool. That's cool. It Just was a, a group. It was a very tight unit. That's what she mentioned. Yeah. And they respected each other, which was amazing. That is great. And I just wanted to give you a personal thank you, Tony, for, you know, what you did for me and, and helping me find my way. I think that was really awesome. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> I think. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like looking at, looking back at it now, you know, although I didn't stay in music per se, my chapter of life in the music business, I think was, um, I think it just like, uh, helped, uh, form the way that I look at life. And I, I look at it from a much higher vantage point now does that make sense yes because you know the music industry the music industry don't you agree it's unlike any other business i feel like like what well, is full of personalities it's full of personalities and excesses yes so it's full of glamour and everything else is supposed to be there yeah but really it's just a business right uh, you can get rich quick sometimes but it like anything else would relate because it's based on relationships so much. It is. Between the artists, the labels, the managers, the agents, whatever. Yeah. Um, that it, it, it sets you up for the world to meet and greet, greet dif different people. So you meet different people. Which is going to stretch and it's going to stretch and grow your perspective exactly. and you. Yeah. It's like Keith yeah. Moon of The Who said, if you want to join a rock group and see the world, 
That's the true. You really see the world through you know, through a rock band, and not because you see it through rose-tinted glasses. We, no, you see a lot of bad shit on the road. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, and some, in the business, bad, and in the business, and in the business, yeah, yeah. really bad side of humanity. Yeah. So, but it's an eye opener. Yeah, it is. It and does it's broaden a, your. It's a vantage point that you can take with you that's useful beyond the music industry. Yes. Yes, you're yeah. right. And I want I want to ask you cuz I was taking the class with you, the UCLA class you were teaching, right? right? I was going to say what did you notice? What did you think that that I kind of had that maybe stood out at the time? Your curiosity. My curiosity. You're not the first person to tell me that. As opposed to somebody who usually comes into that position who wants the boundaries stated, yeah. know what they're going to do and really don't go much beyond that. You came in with like a clean slate. You could tell that there was a genuine thirst or curiosity. Which... Absolutely. No, dude, your curiosity and thirst for information was uh, appealing to me because you took it seriously in a matter-of-fact manner. Yeah. But you were insistent. If, and you weren't scared to talk about it. If you didn't understand something, that you wouldn't go into detail. Most people go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And they discuss it. <laughs> You, you wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was appealing. Thank you, Tony. You're Thank welcome. you. And I st- I've kept that, actually, believe it or not. Yeah. I know you <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on the show. And um, I think we've shared a lot of good stuff here. And thank you for uh, being so open uh, in the interview. And um, we'll see you guys uh, next episode. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Very enjoyable. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.